Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I'm Wicked Good, and I am talking to you not about Hearthstone. Um, while I am not driving around town, um, it is the day after the mini set, and I and I am joined by a special guest. But despite the fact that the, the mini set just came out yesterday, we are actually here to talk about not Hearthstone. Um, but I am joined by uh, your friend and mine, the one and only Ridiculous Hat, to talk about Metroid Dread because we had that. Um, we had a lot of things to say, and you know, in in the interest of preventing Hat from starting yet another podcast, I offered to I offered up mine so we can make it a one shot. So Hat, welcome, welcome back once again. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this show will be dreadful, uh, full of dread, Metroid dread. It'll be a good show. It, it'll be a, a, a red dread redemption. That. That's what it. That's what it'll ah. be. That's oh, the podcast see? title. You can just, you can just do it now. We could just we could just, just write it, it down right now. We got it. We we, okay. we did it. We could we can stop recording right now. We just we just have the title and that's it. That's all we need. Um, we could, but we're gonna keep talking. Yeah, it's, I, listeners, stay stay here. Yeah, stay. No, we're we're not done. We're, I mean, I don't think we need to tell them. They've they've listened to this show long enough. They know when you come on that we're not getting out of here in, in under five minutes. That's not that's not a thing that's happening. But um, this is a game that that both of us fell really hard into and and had a lot of things to say about and 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 I think both of us you you probably longer than me have been Metroidvania fans um, for a while because I've I've actually only really I used to hate these types of games for whatever reason and then probably the undiagnosed ADD yeah I think that's what it was I think it was like maybe like six or seven years ago I picked up like guacamelee and an owl boy around the same time and you know kind of like starter like ease you into the the genre type of metroidvanias and then kind of realized that you know and then that got you know got diagnosed with the adhd around the same time and that kind of helps you know with the not getting frustrated not being able to find things running around aimlessly but then you know i ended up playing through like axiom verge and you know, and um, and Hollow Knight, and then went back and did you know Symphony of the Night and Super Metroid, which Super Metroid I only played like I only played through like five years ago, I think. Welcome to the party. You made it. Yeah, I did it. I mean, I, it was it was I, like I think I played it when it first came out, but I just like I never I could never really get anywhere. And then you know the magic of Adderall helped helped, helped me help me navigate the 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 floors of Zebus, I guess. But um. But yeah, and, and then this came out, and it's. I mean, you, but you've been playing Metroidvanias for a lot longer than than that, right? I mean, you've been you've been a fan of the genre for a long time. When I was in high school, I remember saving up to get a uh, Japanese import of the Symphony of the Night OST. Oh um, man! On CD, yeah, it was it was really great. Like it's the the actual the the PlayStation One disc had the second track was was actually a song from the series. Uh, from the game because they used to do that back then and there was this intro with alucard saying the first track will not work but you're probably not listening to me anyways um it was it was you know entertaining very very uh early 2000s um but yeah i so metroid in particular the old metroid games were a little rough metroid one in particular on nes was really rough and super metroid really didn't pick up popularity until the emulator days much later which is when i got into it um i was big into the castlevania series starting with symphony and uh aria of sorrow i i killed my gba battery many many times <laughs> playing aria of sorrow um 
really, really great and added kind of like a Pokemon gotta catch them all soul mechanic where like the enemies had a drop chance to drop a soul and it gave you a power up. And so that was a big deal and the sequel on the DS. But I did play a lot of Super Metroid on my keyboard. Oh keyboard my God. You only. Play with a keyboard? Oh, ZSNES in the also around the same era playing with uh, the the controller buttons I put on ZXC and V I put the direction buttons on the right hand on the arrow keys I was a very iconoclastic young man what can you what can you say this was I think this might have been when Linux was my desktop operating system we've grown out of it it was a phase oh my goodness it's the 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 version of me in my teenage years were uh, were the final version of a different product than what you see before you today. Um, but played a lot of, of Metroid on emulator, a lot of Castlevania in general. And uh, yeah, there are the modern trend. I'm trying to think about when it really got me with modern Metroidvanias evolving because I didn't play uh, much of Owlboy. It was like it was fine. Guacamelee mm-hmm. 1 never grabbed me. Guacamelee 2, it was like there were a lot of buttons and it felt pretty good. Guacamelee fiddly, 2 but I got was like much worse than Guacamelee 1. Guacamelee 1, I really liked. Yeah. Guacamelee 2, not so much. Yeah. yeah. But Hollow Knight is the game that made me buy a second Switch for a house of two people um, because we had one... And then we both started playing Hollow Knight at the same time, like switching off, and we both were taking public transit at the time. And after a week of fighting over who got to take the Switch that day, there was a sale on Target, $75 off. I saw from your retweet for Warrior64, and I just bought one. I'm just like, all right, well, we need a second one of these. So uh, Hollow Knight's incredible, and there are a lot of really great Metroidvanias out there, but Symphony and Super Metroid are some of my original favorites, and Aria as well. And or yeah, like Ori in the Blind Forest was the one that really like hardcore got me back into the genre. Like, like I played hard. I bounced off Hollow Knight a couple times before I finally saw that Polygon um, explainer, and then and then finally got into it. But Ori in the Blind Forest was the game that I, I still will. I mean, I will. I don't actually recommend it as much as I would like to, just because the platforming is so hard um, that a lot of people bounce off it even on easy mode. But like, oh god, I love those games. Both, both of the Ori games are just are they're beautiful and they and I think it was like when I first got my Xbox that was one of the games that I was like the first game I wanted to play and I was not disappointed and and yeah and then went through Hollow Knight and um and 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 the Axiom Verge well Axiom Verge one I, I'm not really loving Axiom Verge two but Axiom Verge one um was it it was kind of like Super Metroid like but like the um you know like the like the knockoff like my my daughter has a Mickey Moose shirt that she got from like the thrift shore and and like i mean which is not to say anything about axiom verge like it's a it's a it's a hell of an accomplishment it's just it's it's kind of like was filling a void that there wasn't a 2d metroid since um i mean i guess there was other m but people i I never really played through other m and i know a lot of people who are Uh -uh. big metroid fans they like that wasn't 2d either that was uh top down Oh, was it top down? Yeah, I mean, whatever it, was it terrible. is. Terrible. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I know people who are big Metroid fans who are just like they don't speak of that. Like that's that's like the game that shall not be named. Um, so I mean, you're really talking about like was Metroid Fusion? Metroid Fusion was the Game Boy one. That wasn't that wasn't a remake of Metroid Two, right? That was a that was its own game. I know Samus Returns was a was a remake of Metroid Two. Yeah. So Metroid has been. Outside of Super Metroid, Metroid has been handheld and Prime. Those are kind of the two things. So the 3D Metroid has been the Prime series, which a lot of people expected to be a disaster, and and it turned out to be a really fantastic series against all odds. Um, But the Zero Mission and Fusion were both GBA games, 
Zero Mission is a remake of Metroid 1, and it's pretty extensive. They definitely really updated the original material while staying faithful to it, and then added a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and it was interesting, a little bit, like, handholdy, more so than Metroid usually does, uh, but it, it was a nice evolution. Fusion was a direct sequel uh, on the GBA, and it was quite good. Uh, definitely had some creepy vibes. It's kind of a precursor to Dread in a lot of ways. And then Samus Returns is a remake of Metroid 2, which was a Game Boy game, uh, and that was by Mercury Steam, the same team that did Dread. So those were all fairly well regarded. Uh, and the Prime series is also great, and it's it's got some Metroidiness too, but it's it's 3D in first person. It's a very different ballgame yeah. that we're talking it's, about here. It's very hard to play a game like this in 3D just if because a lot of it is you know like shooting at walls and trying to find little hidden things. And when you're when you can see the whole the whole screen, it's one thing. When you're like looking around, you're not sure if you hit the pixel because you're not aiming at it right, and you're wasting missiles. Then that that kind of can get around, or and just trying to navigate around. Because especially, I remember the Metroid games didn't have not having a ton of like of, of fast travel, so you're just kind of like navigating around through these rooms and getting lost in them. And oh, and there was also that um, that GB that weird like 3DS first person shooter, like multiplayer first person shooter game that they. Oh yeah, yeah. That I they know what did. you're talking about. I never played it. Yeah, I, I think I played. I think I rented it, it and that was just like people were pissed off because they wanted a new Metroid game and that wasn't it. But but so like Dread was like the first. The first real Metroid game in, like, I think it was, what, 15 years? 10, 15 years? Something like that? It, it's been a really long time. And 19 years. 19 years, yeah. And and it and there's a lot of expectations for something like that. And, I mean, a lot of nostalgia that's wrapped up in that. And, you know, it's it's hard to... Sometimes it's hard to live up those to those expectations. But I was impressed when I played it. It just felt like better version like a like an updated version of super metroid like a like what what a metroid game it it felt like what a metroid game would be if you made it in 2021 and you know you were with everything that we've learned about game design and and quality of life features and everything from you know the last 19 years of game design and that's what it was and it it was something that i started playing it like on a friday and i basically like i mean I, i took breaks but i played through all the way from like the beginning all the way up to like the final boss or like the big you know the big go back and co- and collect everything in one weekend which is i can't remember the last time that i've just played through a game and like that and not been able to put it down the way that i did with with dread the only reason that i didn't beat it faster there are a couple first is i pl- uh, well three reasons one i had work that weekend annoying okay two yeah. uh the combat was so intense especially early on my hands physically hurt after after the second boss like i had to stop pulling him because my hands physically ached uh and i had to get used to the particular button layout as well as just getting used to playing a a precision game like that before Uh, a lot of really really precise input even though it's over relatively short periods of time but it was physically painful uh and the third is that i got to the final boss on monday the 11th and then harsh mercenaries came out on the 12th and i i you know i got lost in something else yeah that that, you lost a week there i mean a week just kind of disappeared and and that that happens i think i i finished it either i know did i finish it after i finished it like the following weekend i think i don't remember yeah. Um I think I did and I just kind of put it down and then I played Mercenaries for the week and then I and then I came back and just kind of like needed a break from Mercenaries and uh and just went and just decided I was going to beat it cuz I kind of need I kind of left it for 
a time when I knew that I was going to have like I needed to focus on it because I'd heard I hadn't really looked up too much about the final boss. And we'll talk all about the final boss later. But um, we'll, we're, we're going to keep the spoilery stuff to the end if you're worried. So there is spoilers coming. We'll let you know. We'll give you a, we'll give you a signal. You can go turn off the podcast or go, you know, mute the stream or whatever. If you're not, if you don't want to hear spoilers, but, um, but I, I had heard that the, the, the final boss was a, a jerk and that I needed a, a significant amount of time to, to devote to that. And so I did, yeah. but, uh, but other than that, I mean, it just kind of grabbed me and, and yeah, I did have to take, that was the other reason I had to take breaks just because like my hands would hurt too. Like I was using the pro controller and thank goodness I was, cause I can't even imagine trying to play it with joy cons, how much my hands would have hurt from that. But um, but even with the pro controller, it, it, there's a lot of shoulder button stuff and that just and, and keeping the shoulder button. I mean, the shoulder button, you have to hold down for the missiles and you're using the missiles a lot. So especially in the boss battles when you're trying them over and over again. So it, it does kind of start to it, it. It hurt my hands in like a guitar hero type of way where I probably like if I was playing this for extended periods of time, I would probably build up those muscles a little bit more. But, you know, not playing a game like that for a long time, like your muscles need to work up to that. And my muscles were not there. I switched from my Switch Pro controller to my uh, 8-Bitto SN30 Pro Plus, um, the mm. controller that I use for my PC for Hades, uh, because it's just got a slimmer profile. The pain I was experiencing, audio listeners, forgive me, I'm going to hold my hands up to the camera. It's when you hold the left shoulder button to aim and the right shoulder button for missiles simultaneously, you kind of shove the controller into mm. the palms of your hands, and the very edge of my palms here would just ache from the constant pressure being applied while i was squeezing and it was these were high adrenaline boss fights so like i was just jamming and squeezing the controller and uh and i found that after a bunch of pulls of that like it physically ached that was really only for the second boss of the game who we'll talk about later and once i got better at pulling that second boss then the pain definitely subsided because i was playing less with adrenaline more with pattern recognition more on that later uh but I definitely found the the pro controller was good. I definitely found that a controller with a slimmer profile on the on the grips was better for me at the time. But I also just had to get used to the game, and I was jamming a ton of it on top of my workday all weekend long. Yeah, and and I mean, I would say if you're playing this, like Joy Cons are not the way to go. Like, I mean, even like if you're gonna play it handheld, I think that's probably okay. I think it's probably better on a bigger screen just to be able to see everything a little bit better, especially when you're looking for. You know, you're you're looking around for for things that you want to shoot or whatever. Like some of the tiny details will will kind of come out a little bit better on a bigger screen. But yeah, the the controller comfort is key. I could not imagine trying to fight like Joy-Con drift <laughs> playing this game. It would not go well. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it does take it, it. It's worth planning and taking breaks. Um, just because there's I mean, they overload pretty much every button of the controller with like multiple things. By the end, too, like early on, it's a little bit it's a little bit easier to keep track of. This is a game that I also was kind of motivated to try to finish in. I don't want to say one sitting, but in like a short period of time, because I knew if I put this down for like longer than a week, I would never remember how to do anything. And and there would probably be yeah. some boss fight where I'd need to do some sort of a technique and not be able to remember what the hell I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so that that kind of motivated me to try to just kind of stick with it and play through it as much as i could but it did the, the hand pain was was definitely real yeah 
I did end up taking a break because of Mercs, and I actually only beat the game yesterday, so I took uh, three weeks yeah. off. Um, I practiced a little bit to get the muscle memory back. It wasn't too bad because I hadn't learned the final boss's patterns anyway, and so it, you don't need like you need to know what the boss is going to do, not what you're going to do. And I ended yeah. up figuring it out. Um, but yeah, it's it's the movements and the input is pretty precise. But you get the opportunity to practice on the parts that matter very quickly and repeatedly. So there's uh, the game sets you up for success there, and that's something that we're definitely going to touch on extensively here. Um, you know, usually you, when you see games that have this kind of purported difficulty, there's a lot of runbacks and a lot of time wasted when you get punished for losing. That's not really what happens here. And so part of the reason that I think that our hands hurt so much is that there is no downtime at all. Yeah, yeah. And the game does a really good job of removing downtime to our benefit and our detriment sometimes. Yeah, and, and like I've never been a Souls person. Like I've I've bounced off those games pretty hard, but I think I can understand the appeal from playing something like this where like you know uh, you know repeated practice is rewarded, right? Like you're like yeah, you're getting energy tanks, you're getting missiles. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. Like it it helps a little bit to kind of give you a little bit more wiggle room, but at the end of the day like if you have five energy tanks or you have seven energy tanks, it's not going to make a difference getting through the bosses. If you haven't like paid attention to their patterns, pay attention to their movements. They they generally a lot of the move, a lot of the attacks are telegraphed. Like sometimes more subtly than others, but they're almost always telegraphed in a way that if you're paying attention, you can usually counter them. Sometimes, I mean, there is the the actual counter move. In, in Metroid, which we'll get to, which is new to the series, but like, but even just like playing against the boss, like they will have a certain like wind up that will tell you that this attack is coming, and then if you're paying attention to that, you can you can get around it, and then sometimes respond to it, and and it's important to be able to do that because you will never you you don't just beat these bosses by just spamming them with missiles, like there's no way. I mean, there might be a couple of the early ones that you can get through that way, but most of them you're not going to just be able to like get all the energy tanks and be able to just overwhelm them with power. Like you do need to learn how the boss fights and then be able to counter it. And, and that's really rewarding, especially cause I, you know, I didn't give up, but I kind of de- did those in a short period of time. And I could feel myself like getting through the first phase of a fight or getting through the initial fighter, um, you know, and, and then getting to a point where they started flashing and then, okay, then I died. And then I was able to get back to that point a little bit faster. And you could kind of feel like it would maybe take like 10 tries to get through a boss, but you could feel like actual progression in each one of those runs. And, and the, the quick run back kind of helped with that to kind of feel that progression too. But that was something that I was not really expecting to be getting out of this game. And it really did feel very fulfilling being able to beat a boss after kind of taking the time to figure it out and then, you know, be precisely play around what they're trying to do to you. The player mastery component is really well done. And we'll talk about that in the boss section, but Steve was just so excited. He couldn't, couldn't stop himself. It's okay. It's, I, I think it's one of the strongest points of the game and how player mastery is a really, really big component of this game. And also that the game puts you into the circumstances constantly where you are allowed to learn the important stuff and you don't have to do the Dark Souls thing where you have to spend the punishment run back of thinking about how if you were only good, you wouldn't have to do this. Yeah, it, do- it doesn't make you feel bad for learning, right? Like it, it makes exactly. you it, it helps you feel smart in a way by not punishing you for making mistakes. 
and by rewarding you for kind of learning and paying attention and improving, which is something that, you know, you usually in these types of games, you get that through your character getting, um, you know, getting improved. And, and that does happen. Like there are power ups that you get, but you definitely feel it from your own skill in playing the game as much as um, as much as the, you know, the character getting built up. And 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 so the I guess the question is, I mean, so, so for a lot of people, this is going to be a very first Metroid game, right? Like we are, there hasn't been a new Metroid game in a long time. Some of the people who are listening, as I'm often reminded, may not have been old enough to work a controller the last time that a Metroid game came out. Um, they, they may have played them, you know, intermittently since then, but, um, so, you know, and I know that we've had a couple of conversations in discords with people who are, obviously they've heard Metroid, they've played Samus and Smash, like Metroid has been around, but they haven't really played a proper Metroid game. And I think their expectations may have been misaligned. So I guess, is this a good Metroid to start with is a, is a good question for somebody who hasn't tried it yet. If you don't like the Metroidvania genre, which one of my favorite YouTubers, Matt McMuscles, he calls this the search action genre. And I think that is a good description. If you don't like getting lost and then feeling clever when you get unlost, and you don't like locked doors that later become unlocked after you get something from the other side of the map, don't bother here. This is not going to change your mind on the entire genre because it commits pretty hard to the genre trappings and does some specific Metroid stuff. However, if you like that idea, if you like spooky vibes, good combat design, level design that helps you but doesn't feed you the solution, and a a tense and dense action-packed experience, you should get this game. I think that most people that are into action platformers with an exploratory component We'll dig this. But if you're looking for something strictly linear, this ain't it. And if you're looking to be led to the next level and you don't want to look for it, this ain't it. But if you're even close to the idea of what a Metroidvania is, if you know what that means or you're even curious about what a Metroid plays like, this is a great entry in the series. I, I recommend it. Yeah, if you've um, played Hollow Knight, you will, you will dig this. Right. And, and Yes. And, and I think that this is a good one to start with if it's your first Metroid game just because, like, the other Metroid games are quite they're they're old and they're they're classics. Like Super Metroid is a classic, right? And and even Samus Returns is a very good version of the game, but it's still built on an older on an older style. And there's a lot less of like the quality of life things. Like the map only does so much in in um in Super Metroid. And there are some parts that are not really explained and it's not very clear what you're supposed to do and and some fiddly control things and you can get lost for a while and and things are kind of spaced far apart but i think i think that super metroid is 100 percent worth playing if you have not already if you enjoy this game but i think that this is a good one to start with especially to ease you into the series then you can go kind of go back kind of like you could kind of treat super metroid like um you know like like a flashback or something you know knowing how things have gotten there and i mean the story is the story is is decent, you know. I mean, I'm not really a Metroid lore person. I like the way that the story ended, and we'll talk about that too. But like, I didn't really remember any of the story from the other games, aside from what they they then they catch you up at the very beginning. Like they give you their mood pieces. Yeah, these are mood pieces. Yeah. If you're looking for a specific narrative, you're in the wrong place. If you're looking for a vibe and a and a and an arc 
then you're fine. But like Super Metroid came out during Clinton's first term, came out in 94. Yeah. That game, we've learned how to make video games since then. The people that grew up playing that game make games now. That's why we have Metroidvanias now. So they learned from that, but then they did other stuff. Dread is the Metroid to start with if you like where games have gone. Not And this is not talking about the difficulty stuff. Just talking about like a game that helps you and respects your time because it recognized that sometimes grown adults want to play video games and doing a bunch of runbacks to extend the length of the game for 10 hours is not worth doing. It's it's a well-made game. I think that, you know, again, if you do not like this type of game and if you're not, if you're going into like, it's like I heard a lot of great things about Bloodborne when it came out and I and I tried it and I did not like it and I didn't expect to because it's a Souls-like or... or um, or I didn't even try Sekiro, but I assume that if I tried Sekiro, I would probably be disappointed if I tried it because I don't like Souls likes and it's a Souls like, right? If you don't like it, Metroid- is not, but it's okay. It's by from stuff. The Sekiro conversation is beyond the scope of this podcast. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but it's it's there's Soulsborne and then there's Sekiro, which is why Souls gamers will have strong opinions about Sekiro one way or another. But it is it it is punishingly difficult, much like the Souls games. It has a lot of other things that are dramatically different. But the punishing difficulty, expect that phrase to come up a bunch. Yeah. That is a thing that Dread does not do. Yeah. Dread does not punish you for dying. It drops you right back into the action immediately. You don't lose progress. You don't You don't even have to run back at all. It puts you right outside the door to wherever you were. Uh, rarely more than 30 seconds to get back in the, in the swing of things. If it's a longer run back, it's, it is not punishing, even though it is hard. It's challenging without being punishing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's something that, you know, you're looking for. Like, you don't necessarily want it to be cakewalk. You want, and and those those moments of, you know, getting past something that you haven't been able to get past are are pretty thrilling. But it's not punishing in, in a way that it, it does kind of it, – it's in the same way that the Switch is, right? Like, the Switch is a video game console for people who are taking the train every day, right, and still want to be able to play and, and you know, and, and, you know, fit that into their lives or play while watching television – it's like the Switch version of a Metroid game, which is appropriate because it's on the Switch. Yeah. When we talk about roguelikes, it's, I am known to enjoy the game Hades. Yes. I have enjoyed that game. I'm wearing a Hades shirt currently, right now. Um, and I also tried to play a similar roguelike called Returnal. And Returnal was a game that I really uh, struggled with. And there was an article about it that was really well written that Returnal isn't too hard. It's just too long. It's not that it's punishing. It's that when you it's that a run can take you hours, two hours to get through three of the six biomes. And when you die, you go all the way back to the beginning, and the game did not ship with a save and quit feature. You had to suspend the console and then hope you didn't get a software update. Hades runs, I frequently finish with the in-game timer under 20 minutes. And out of game, it's probably 40 minutes, maybe. At this point, it's, it's less than that for me. But if you're just starting the game, maybe an hour total per run, and it automatically saves every room. And you can also just put the Switch to sleep, and it's fine. So you're looking at really different philosophies into how to respect the player's time. And Dread is the, is the Metroidvania that does that the best out of a lot of the ones that I've played. And they're able to do some things with the difficulty that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise if they didn't make those concessions. Yeah. So... We're going to talk about that, but also, if you haven't played it yet, this is the point where we're going to start talking about specifics with the game, not bosses yet, not even specific power-ups, maybe one or two here, but we're going to start describing parts of the game that you will experience by playing. If you haven't played it at all, this might be a good time to pause. If you played a little bit, we should be fine. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, or if you're okay with, you know, understanding what you're getting into if you haven't played it, right? Because, like, I don't think we're going to be talking... We're not going to be spoiling anything yet. We'll save that for the end. But, you know, I mean, you can't really get into talking about these games without talking about the Emmys. Not the not the awards, but the, the characters in the game. So, that this is your... I've said the name. This is your cue. If you want to not be spoiled at all and not hear anything, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm talking now to give you a chance to go reach for the pause button. Okay. We're good. Everybody, everybody's still here. Okay, great. So, um, I mean, the Emmys are like the big new feature of this game and it kind of makes it feel a little bit more like a survival horror game than the other games in the past where you have these areas where the Emmys are, are basically invincible robots. I mean, you, you do eventually find a way to kill them, but as far, at least in the beginning, they're completely invincible and they have these little areas that they patrol and you can see what they can hear. They can, you know, they can hear for a range. They can see, they have a cone of vision that you can avoid. And, um, and then you can, you have to kind of navigate their area and get through it without them catching you. Cause if they touch you, then they they grab you and you have like a very very small and unreliable opportunity to kind of break th- free. It like lets you do it for free the first time, and then after that, I think I was probably like one of twenty five being able to to get myself out of an Emmy Emmy's grasp and I, grasp. And I was I was consistently surprised whenever I would successfully be able to like get out of its grip. But even like knowing how to do it doesn't matter because the timing's more or less random. By by design, not random so much as so precise that it feels random for anyone that isn't a speedrunner. Um, these things are designed to be terrifying, and over the course of the game, at the beginning, they are designed to feel impossible to deal with and uh, and almost a certain death. Over the course of the game, that re- the relationship with them changes a little bit, a lot of it. Um, but at the at the beginning, like the very first one you encounter is is kind of spoon fed to you. But after that, you're just like, what do I even do is the feeling that comes up a lot. And that improves and that grows, but they're designed to be these this really ominous, really deadly plot device. That uh, And they're creepy as hell. They walk like the H.R. Geiger aliens from the Alien movies combined with Linda Blair from The Exorcist. It's a really weird, creepy combination, and every time they're on screen, the skittering freaks me out. Yeah, they're like they're like walk crawling. Like they can crawl through these little spaces and and kind of get through gaps that you you really can't get through for most of the time because you usually don't have the morph ball for a lot of the early encounters anyway. And then they they just kind of get into different places, and you think that you've kind of got past them, and then all of a sudden they go through a different area and they've caught up to you, and 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 you're just kind of running for an exit, and and it's it's a very weird dichotomy of like doing this really careful exploration in the non Emmy zones where you're like you're shooting walls and you're kind of looking around for for where to go next, and all of a sudden you get to the Emmy zones and it's just like sneak and then run like hell, and and I. I'm not usually motivated by that type of game. Like survivor horror tends to like annoy me more than it does like have a reaction in me, mainly because I don't want to be, you know, spending the time to have to walk back or lose whatever, whatever progress. I still remember like eternal darkness for the GameCube where they had like the sanity sequences and one of them, man. And one of them was like that the controller just stopped working. And then that was like one of the things that actually worked on me. But like I remember hearing myself like audibly say, oh, crap, when I saw the Emmy and start running. Right. Because like 
you you need, but I mean, you're going to try again, right? Like if it catches you, it's like 10 seconds for the little sequence to go. And then you're right back out at the, at the exit, but you need to traverse those segments in order to get to the other side to continue the exploration and being able to like figure out a way to do that is an interesting little way of like working stealth into a, a series that really hasn't had stealth before. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, later explicitly working stealth in, but even, even initially just kind of like planning your movements and having to plan where to go and then just picking it, picking a, a spot and then just running for it and trying to get out of the door. Cause if it catches you, if it gets close to you, it'll close the doors and then you have to kind of go back across it and you're probably not getting across that way. I will say that when my explorer mode was on, like personally, not in the game, when I was feel felt like exploring and seeing what the rooms were about, and I was getting hurried along by the by the Emmy, and I had to switch to run mode. I didn't enjoy that forced context switch. I wanted to explore. I wanted to see what's going on. So at the, at the time, it was kind of frustrating to say, "Where am I going? Okay, I got to figure this out quickly because I got to get out of here." Um, and I learned to adapt. It wasn't my favorite thing at the time. It's not supposed to. But also, there were, there were moments of frustration where I'm like, I just wanted to see what was in this hallway, and it was and it was that jerk like Robo Crab that was walking up on me and then I died and I had to go back and I didn't know what was beyond there. Did I have to go back there? It always felt like when it was near the place I needed to be, the Emmy would just spawn, but worked past it and eventually was able to figure out just run for the nearest door. That's close to where you came in. Just constantly do that. And you'll usually be fine. Yeah. And it really only got like, it, it, it always kind of had the same feeling, um, you know, through it. And, and, even the later ones kind of have that same feeling, even though, you know, at that point, like you can beat them, you know, you don't have the power to do it right away, but there will be a point where you probably will be able to. I think the only point where it really got annoying was like one of the later ones where they had a bunch of water. And so you're like doing the floaty jump thing and you, you need to be jumping extremely precise. And if you fall into the water, then you're probably just losing too much time. And I, I ended up spending a lot of time in that, that one section just trying to get across. And that was that was kind of like towards the end of the game. And I'm kind of like, okay, I've had it with the Emmys now. I, I, I get it. Like, I, we've done it. We've done this several times now. I know how this is going to play out. Now I just want to get through it. And I'm, I'm kind of annoyed, right? But uh, it took a while to get to that point. Um, and and it's, it made the points where you did get to actually finish off the Emmy feel like that much more of a triumph because it's like this thing that's been chasing me around for the past like hour and now all of a sudden i get to turn you get to turn the tables and even that's like a puzzle um because you eventually when you when you do get to beat the emmys it's like a you know you have to beat a, a a boss that gives you like a mini boss i guess that gives you the power to be able to kill it but it's like first you have to be able to like machine gun off the the mask and then you have to be able to charge up the weapon to full to be able to fire at it. And those both, you generally can't do both of those at the same time. So you're kind of like finding a place in the map where you can do one part one and then transition to part two and then be able to, to finally finish it off. And like that whole puzzle, uh, you know, puzzle within a, within a, a fight was really presented very organically and it felt really, really satisfying once you were able to pull it off, even if it was frustrating at the time. It, it felt satisfying afterwards. It's academically interesting. I missed that charge up shot a few times and I, it was annoying. Like 
the game is big on precision, but this is if you whiff, you were instantaneously dead because it is entirely one-shots. Again, you're not getting punished for it by a lot. It's a brief amount of frustration. The salt doesn't overflow. But it's worth noting, there are times when you will charge up the shot and barely miss and then die. And I'm not going to say that was the most positive gameplay experience, but I'm going to say that it wasn't particularly punishing outside of that, you know, it costs you some total, maybe an extra five minutes. Uh, so it's not like you're spending a ton of time, but in the moment, I remember voicing my frustration. I, I do remember that. Yeah, I mean, it's but, it's supposed to be frustrating yeah. to some extent, but it's not. I mean, it's frustrating, but it's not like controller throwing frustrating because because no, the, I got the through pen, it. We yeah. got through it. We were yeah. we liked the game enough to podcast about it. But I will say, if you are playing it and you have those feelings of this is kind of this kind of BS in the moment, especially if you're stuck on one right now. It's a normal feeling, but it goes away. And once you figure it out, then it clicks, and you're like, oh, this is fine. Yeah. And sometimes just, like, putting it down for a few minutes, letting your hand rest. And then – because this is another one where you're holding down the trigger buttons a lot, right? So um, you're doing, like, multiple things at once. There were a couple of times when I forgot which button I was supposed to be pressing for, like, the – for the, the big the big blast because I was – you know, I had so much trouble getting through blowing the mask off. But, like, you know, take a break, put it put it away for 15 minutes, let your hands recover, and then you go back to it with a fresh mind. You'll probably you'll probably be able to figure it out. But or, or even just like your hand might be getting tired. and That's why you're missing. Right. Like that's that's entirely possible to be a thing that's happening, too. Um, but it is it is like this is like the, I mean, that's the dread part of the of the game. Right. Like that's the I mean, it's not the it's not what it's named after, but it's you know, it is it is kind of the the dread feeling of the game is is these emmys that are um that are chasing you down through these areas and then having to like evade evade them until you're powerful enough to be able to take them over and and it does create that feeling of progression it's it it did feel a little bit overplayed by the end but i think it was a really a really cool way to throw up throw something different into the metroid into the metroid formula because it it could they could have very easily just made it an explorathon with some boss battles here and there but this kind of added a lot more of like a change of tempo into the game where those types of games don't always have that it's a fairly unique texture to the game um out of metroidvanias in general it's an element that we don't often see explored and it's hard to understate the vibe in general this game made me look back at older metroids and wonder was this series always kind of like gross always kind of sticky like a lot of hr geiger s like really organic pulsating uh like monstery stuff it like really alien stuff that was just held back by the tech not being able to properly express how how visceral everything is and i think that it probably was a lot of the older bosses in the game a lot of the older enemies when you look back at super metroid it's all like really like bulbous and organic and really like kind of gross out yeah. In a way that uh, only Dread has been able to deliver out of the Metroid games I've played, just because it has modern tech doing the work and the art design is really great. I mean, Metroid Brain, uh, Mother Brain was literally a brain, right? Like it was a- an actual yeah. brain organ that you were fighting against. So I mean, and and like Craid and Ridley. I mean, Ridley was just kind of a dragon. Craid. I mean, Craid's in this game too. Well, you know, we'll talk about that. But I mean, Craid's always been kind of a disgusting mofo, right? And and. Uh, you know, I think the Metroids themselves were supposed to be a little bit more monstrous than they kind of show up in like NES style graphics or even the NES, the SNES style graphics. Like they look kind of cute 
you know, and the Super Nintendo, they're kind of bump, bouncing around. I think they were probably yeah. intended to be a little bit more like an evil jellyfish than they actually looked. But, they, you know, like just the limitations of the time couldn't really get there. But, I mean, that's also probably worked in its in its favor to some extent that, you know, a lot of like this was like these were games that like I remember playing Metroid at friends houses when I was like five or six. And like if it was looking like this, I would not have been playing it when I was like five or six. Right. Like this was like an early memory of like running around like we we never got anywhere in like original Metroid. But like we played it like we would play it would run around and go through that first like elevator shaft or whatever. Maybe we get through to like the second area and that, that you know, and then we get lost because we didn't know that you had to shoot the walls. But like. You know, we would play that from like an early age, and I don't, I don't think if it looked like this, that would be kind of like an early, like a like a childhood, like a grade school level experience for a lot of people. What they've done with this game and how they've brought it into the future, I think, is really great. Um, and I just like that they're finally able to deliver in the artistic vision that they clearly had; they weren't able to get to. Um, and we should talk about the level design in general, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it, uh, there, and there was this great video that I'll link in the show notes that you you share with me around what around around how it's constructed how the the game is constructed to kind of help you move through it right because like i i actually i played with a with a walkthrough up uh mainly to help me get through some of the boss battles but also kind of like i had that feeling like i was going down a path that i was going to be going down like the wrong path and i didn't want to end up spending like half an hour doubling back so like my usual my usual plan with a game like this is I'll have a walkthrough open. I'll try not to use it very much, but if I feel like I'm going like in a diverging path and I have like two ways to go down and it feels like I'm about to go into like another area that I'm supposed to be going to that other area. And this is probably some leftover um feelings from when I was playing the Ori sequel. I forget I think it was the Ori sequel and I ended up working my way through like the whole final area well before i should have like i i had yeah. not and and it let me do it right it let me get all the way up to like the final boss door and it's like hey you need all these spirits to get through it's like oh crap i just spent an hour and a half climbing up this stupid mountain because it let me and i got there with with like half of the powers i'm supposed to have right so i usually do that just to make sure that i'm not going in the direction and, and i would i would get there and feel like oh this is pulling me down a transporter I should probably check to make sure this is where I'm supposed to be going. And every time I was like, yeah, go down the transporter. That's where you're supposed to be. And and it made it feel like a very, a very, uh, some people would call it a linear experience. It was definitely a very straightforward experience. Like I didn't, I got lost in some individual rooms, mainly because I was just like missing something that I didn't realize I could break. But I never really felt like I was go like i it was always like within a, a cycle of like four or five rooms it wasn't like a whole like section of the map where i was just stuck and i couldn't figure out where to go the my impulse in these games historically has been whenever there is an obvious door go the other way and this has caused me to miss many save points over the years and end up in a lot of dead ends and explore the hard areas before the easy ones but i always worry am i missing something this door is so obvious is there a boss or am I going to miss stuff if I go in here? Modern game design isn't about that. It's about trying to get you to go to the right place. And Dread is one of the few Metroidvanias where if the game is trying to get you to go somewhere, you should probably just go. Yeah. There's probably not, not a lot that you're missing there or a closed door that you can't get to yet. It's designed to pleasantly usher you along. And the it has a few 
places, a lot of places actually, where it sets you up to feel like you're exploring, but you're doing what the designers want you to do. And it's a bit more heavy-handed about that than previous Metroid games. But previous Metroid games focused on being distinctive and memorable. Uh, There's this one hallway in Super Metroid where you go back there about four or five times with new power-ups, and every time it evolves. This one hallway, this one stretch, is kind of this gateway to a bunch of different areas. You go back to the same place, and you feel yourself getting more powerful over time because the new abilities that you get make this one same place into suddenly a hub into different areas that you couldn't get to. Dread doesn't do that as much. If it wants to go a place, it puts a teleporter in front of you and says, go, and then you get the thing there, and then you come right back. But you feel clever for having found that and then got the power up then go back there and you can go right through and it doesn't put as much space between where you are and where like where you are when you get a power up and where you are when you need to use it it's pretty close by it doesn't make you jump through all these hoops or backtrack a ton there's very little backtracking in the main game almost too little i would say but if you like feeling clever and you like doing the detective thing there's not as much of that here, and there is one very specific Metroid element that I was trained on growing up that a lot of people aren't, shooting at walls that look solid. Yeah. You will see this with Dark Souls players. They will hit random walls. You will see this in any Metroidvania player constantly just hitting anything in front of them like, is this a breakable wall? And that's something you 100% have to constantly do in Dread, and you will almost always be rewarded by checking walls and floors. But that's not something a lot of game series do anymore. Yeah, and, and it's the kind of thing that kind of turns people off. Cause it's like, well, what do, you, what do you mean I have to shoot this block in the wall? And it's like anyone who played Metroid 1 remembers, like, the first energy tank that was, like, in a, in a block that was in the ceiling of one of the early rooms. And you would shoot that block, you'd get an energy tank, right? And that was what taught you that you needed to do that. And, and what helps is that the missiles are much more plentiful in this game than they were in other games. Like, they, they give you back... They have a lot of missile recharge areas, like like enemies will die and they'll give you missiles very often, like much more often than in the other games. And so you're, you are kind of freer to use the missiles to test. And eventually you do get like a radar that will help like identify some of the breakable things. It won't tell you how to break them. It'll tell you that they're there. And then the power bomb you'll get very toward, very much towards the end. And then you just kind of get in some of these rooms, you just kind of set it off. It blows up everything or almost everything or at least identifies like what you need to do with like a you know, like a, with a, a an icon to tell you what kind of move you need to in order to break it. Um, but yeah, if you're not used to even even games like I think Hollow Knight doesn't really do a whole lot of that. And Ori certainly does. It's got some breakable walls. Like there are some areas where like the entire DLC is accessed through a breakable wall, actually, for the Grim Troop. Um, it's there's it's a genre trapping. It's used less now than it was before. It's not the most player-friendly thing. They actually train you how to do this in the tutorial. They show you in the tutorial, in the guided lessons, you have to shoot these blocks and they have to go away. It is something that Metroid does. It's a part of Metroid's DNA. Uh, So if you're not used to it, you have to get used to it to enjoy this game. And most of the time, the blocks are where you think they are. You just shoot and bomb everything all the time, and you usually make progress pretty quick. And that is by far the least clear aspect of the progression here. And... On the, uh, when you account for that, you end up with this really masterful design where the game always somehow manages to get you to go where you're supposed to, but makes you feel like you figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, the other trope of it, I mean, it's used also in some other, a lot of other Metroidvanias that if you're in an area, like if you fall into a pit and you can't get out, there's probably an item somewhere in that pit that's going to help you get out. 
right? Like, or, yes. or, or is going to open a door to get you to keep going. Like, that's a that's a common trope, but it's used somewhat sparingly in other games, and it's used pretty extensively here. There are there are doors that you will like things you'll pull out that will kind of open up one passage but block another. Um, you know, there are it, there are things that will it'll kind of lock you. You'll fall down a pit, and then you'll have to you know go a different way. Then you then you went in to get out, and you'll have to use some other tool that you'll probably find down there to get it, or you or it'll open up a wall, open up a passage that'll that'll let you progress, and maybe it won't go to where you were, but it'll kind of open up the the way to the next area. Like it's very common, and that that um, boss key video really lays out like how much they use that, and then they they call it locks and keys, and like how close the locks and keys are, which they are not always in a lot of these games. Like a lot yeah. of times they'll have you go, you know, you'll you'll go pretty far to find you, there's an area that was like left over. Like the double jump is kind of the worst defender of this in a lot of these games where yeah, there's in like every game. Yeah. Where there's except a, for Ori, I think. Yeah. Ori, Ori think one, you that. get the double jump early, but the triple jump helps a lot. Yeah. But there's always like a cliff that it looks like if you timed it right, you could get up, but you can't actually get up it. So you generally will spend like 15 minutes trying to jump up that wall and then realize that you can't. And then eventually you'll get a move that'll help you. But that's that's sometimes like all the way across the map. And if it is across the map in Metroid, in Metroid Dread, there usually is like a teleporter to get you there. Like it will get you there pretty quickly and help you find it. And, and it like even the map will. This is one of the things that I really felt. I don't think we're getting into the quality of life stuff, but like the maps will kind of show you where you can go to use the new toy that you just got. And yeah, that I felt was really both both really helpful and also really illuminating and how few of those types of doors there were or blockages there were in any given area near where you pick the thing up. Because I was expecting there to be a lot more and there would like be a lot more branching paths. And it was usually like there's two or three and one of them would have a power up or two of them would have a power up and like one of them would be the way forward. And, and that was pretty consistent all pretty much up till close to the end. Um, there was a bunch of power-ups that were that are gated by like the last couple of power-ups, but most of the earlier power-ups was just kind of like, okay, well, this will get you an energy tank or a missile tank or something like that, and then open up the door for you to keep going. The backtrack prevention is new to the franchise, I think. At least I don't remember it being quite so overstated. Where like when you're moving forward, if you want to go back, you probably can't. The, the the place it puts you, there's a trick that Metroidvania games get to do. If they want to help you find something, they constrict where you have access to. They limit how many rooms you have to look in. And the way Metroid Dread does that is by saying, no, you can't go back to the previous area until you figure it out. So you end up with single digit or like 10, 15 rooms to look in as opposed to the entire map. And the map is expansive and it takes forever to get from one side, to like one side of the the globe to the other because there are seven eight different areas i forget how many um and the areas aren't exactly all that distinctive either because you're constantly being ushered through them but you don't have to remember them so if you like remembering that ledge that you couldn't reach in that world three three levels ago and finding that thing you don't really get that experience as much you can't even go back to that world until you're finished with this one but if you like being put in a circumstance where it doesn't take as long to figure out what to do. And I think that's uh, then this game is for you. Yeah. And, and you can like, which is new to this game. And I haven't seen in any other game like this. You can actually like 
drop a marker on the map and say, this is something I want to remember uh, yeah. when I get back there. Right. And, and, or use that as kind of like a guide to get through, like kind of like in a, in like an open world, like, okay, well, this is my next quest. Like you can set a marker like that, which was, which was, I mean, I didn't really use that until the end, but it was helpful to have, like, at least feel like, okay, well, there's something here that I want to remember. Let me just drop a pin in the map and I'll, and at least I'll know that that's something I want to come back to if and when I get back here, knowing that it may, it might be a minute before I get back to this part of the map again. Yeah, it's. The quality of life stuff is really exceptional. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold myself back. I'm gonna hold it back and stick to the structure because that's what that's what Dread wants us to do. He wants us to stick to the structure. It's very clear on that. Um, and I will say, like, when you make the game about constantly pushing you through levels in a set order, and it's very good at making sure that you explore a place and then you finish, and you can do the backtrack at the end if you want. I don't remember a lot of where I went. There was like, there was hot world, cold world, science world, Roman world. Uh, the one in the middle, jungle worlds, and there was there was like the one little water. one that just had like the one the one cutscene, and then you're gone. Like there was cutscene land, um, like and I mean, and some of them changed. Like there, you know, like it would get frozen over, and yeah. you have to go back through it. So it's even like you're going back through it, but it doesn't look the same. And like, and a lot of it is also like you're going through the transporters and shuffling between them. Like you're not really spending a ton of time at once in any of them until like the great backtrack at the end. So, and that's, if you want to, like, you don't have to do the great backtrack if you don't want to. Um, so it's like, you're going through these things, you're shuffling through and you're, you're, you're taking all these transporters and you're going back and forth. So they all kind of do run together and then they don't, they don't really have the feeling of like Brinstar in, in the earlier games, like that you can remember. And, and, and the music is kind of similar too. like a lot of what made, the the music is is good at evoking the old Metroid music, but and I remember I I follow um, RoboKick who does who's responsible for a lot of the Brave Wave like remasters and um, stuff like that. So he's very into into the music of these types of games, and and he was saying like it's it, the music all just kind of sounded the same, right? Like it's not like yeah. in in Super Metroid where every area has kind of its own unique music and like the the classic like thematic metroid music was very was reserved for like brinstar and then you have other music like the music all kind of felt the same and the and you spent a lot of time in the emmy zones and the emmy zones all really had kind of the same creepy music so the music didn't really and they all look the same by design right like those are intentionally identical and that's where you spend most of the game in these they have this kind of gray tv static over them they have no music when the emmys are in there uh, and then the bleeping happens and you're being chased and then it's all like, oh shit, run music. And it's uh, it turns into – they turn into these kind of like ambient clean rooms that just have no character of their own on purpose. They're not supposed to have any character. So it just – it makes the game streamlined instead of memorable and that's fine. But like I still remember the Brinstar and Norfair music and the rough idea of where it was supposed to go and which rooms I needed to get the various suit for. And you don't have that kind of association with levels in this game because you kind of blast through them. Yeah. Yeah. And the music is fairly similar. So it doesn't even like it doesn't really differentiate that well. And and it's fine. Right. Like the music is good. It's not bad. It's just very similar throughout. So like you don't get that kind of feeling of progression through the different areas. But it's fine. And, and, um, you know, and and they they do a lot of like the exploration at the end with you know allowing you to go backtrack once you've kind of cleared everything, and and then you have everything open to you, and then you can go backtrack and explore and and try to get some of these power ups that are 
through some of these puzzles that are just like I I have all the respect in the world for anyone who got 100 percent on this game, because like I spent maybe an hour trying to do one of the Shine Spark puzzles just to get like was a, that stupid rampy one was it the stupid rampy one where you have to go down and over and down and shine spark into a ramp and then go over and shine spark into the other one you just described basically half of them but yes uh <laughs> yeah. but but yeah and i did like one of them and then i got like an energy tank part not even like a full energy tank and i'm like okay now like that we're i i'm not doing this like i did i did half of the grand backtrack and then I like I and then I put the game down and then I said I have to beat this game by tomorrow and I looked at my health and missile count and then I looked at my percentage I'm like I'm just gonna go to the boss yeah I was I beat the game with 62 percent items it's fine it's I didn't need half of them I was never below 100 missiles with 170 I don't remember what my yeah I think I broke 200 missiles at one point and um, I think I probably ended up like 220 or something like that and, and I mean I just went through because I wanted to I didn't want the game to end basically. Um, you know, so I wanted to go through and kind of experience all of it. And, uh, but then I got to the shine sparks puzzle. Like, no, that's good. I'm good. Like you, you kind of have to like hold, you have to press in. Cause again, they overload all of the, all of the, the, the buttons on the, on the controller. So you're pressing down the, the stick, the left stick while you're running to get into a run. And then you have to kind of like stop and, and, press and then get to wherever you're going to go and then press down and then shoot yourself into whatever direction you're going. And sometimes it doesn't recognize you. You got like five seconds before it, it, it evaporates and then you're going through like walls and water and like, no, it's like, I'm too old for this. Like I, I I'm sure that I'm sure that I, I you know, if I was younger and I really wanted to like hundred percent and be really cool for all my dorm friends, like I might do it, but at, at 42, I'm not doing it. Like I'm, I'm good. I don't need it to beat the boss. I'm fine. It's they they have stuff there for the people that want to do these puzzles. I'm glad they do. Yep. They're not essential power ups. They're they're gating your percentage score and not your ability to clear the game behind these things. And that's good because I just skipped them. Yep. I just didn't bother. Um, and really, like that might be my biggest problem with the game's pacing because it's kind of this y- you exhale after about like eight eight hours in or so and then you realize like that's the elevator to the final boss yeah and half the map's unexplored and then the impulse if you're a life or metroidvania player is go clear the maps but the reality is just probably go do the boss just probably go do it right now because the game just pushes you there and then if you want to go explore you can you're getting a lot of missile tanks it's not super satisfying. It's kind of fun to, like, go through the old areas and, like, screw attack through everything and they just die in one hit and then you go pick up some missiles or whatever. But they're really spread out maps and you're setting markers all over the place and trying to figure out the most efficient way to get down there and then back up. And there's some one-way things that you can't get past. Um, and the power-ups that you're getting are all, like, incremental and largely irrelevant. I'm not all that enjoyable to get most of the time in my in my humble opinion. Yeah, I mean, the power bombs, like, get, because you get, like, one power bomb, right? And, like, it's worth it to go find a few because they're useful for the final boss. And because that's, like, right at the end that you get the first one, and then that's pretty close to the final boss. So that's kind of worth it. And, you know, maybe one or two more energy tanks can't, can't hurt. But, like, there's enough low-hanging fruit that you can probably find a few of those and then just kind of go do it. And, um, but I, I, it's also kind of a way of procrastinating because it, I mean, it, it spends the whole game telling you that you're never going to beat the boss and he's way too powerful for you. Right. So it's it's also kind of like a natural instinct to want to go get the power ups that, you know, were there that you've passed by because you couldn't reach them. 
um, you know, and I, I do think that it's really cool that they um, they did design the game so that if you did manage to work your way around the structure, that it would it would acknowledge that like there's uh, we, I don't know if we want to talk about this now, like that one thing with one of the bosses where you're where now let's do it later yeah we'll talk about that later but we'll we'll come we'll put a pin in that and come we'll put we'll put a marker on the map and then we'll 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 backtrack around to that one yes and the map highlighting is awesome yeah it's very it's good. so great and it's worth pointing out now and we'll talk about it in the qol section but like you pick a door that you need to get through for a certain mechanic or you pick an item that you want to get and it highlights all other instances of that on the map whether and it differentiates between have i gone through here yet or not or have i picked this up yet or not yeah incredibly player friendly super awesome 10 out of 10 would map again yeah and, and also it kind of gives you the question marks when it, you don't have whatever you haven't seen whatever it is that's going to get you through it like don't try right like it, it also saves you that kind of time too because it's like Okay, I don't. You don't know what this is. It's just question marks. Okay, well, whatever it is, I don't have the item to get through here. So let's not bother. Let's go look for another way because I'm not getting through here one way or the other. That saves a lot of time too. Yeah, and once you realize the game is probably pushing me towards when I need where I need to go to get the thing, and I'm probably pretty near the thing. The 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 key is probably pretty near the lock. Then you learn to just go with it. And once you embrace that, as long as you're okay with that, then it's pretty good. Yeah, it's like um, how to stop worrying and love the power bomb exactly and then when we and when we talk about the mechanics i think it needs to be emphasized we've talked about the exploration for like an hour the combat's dope it's so good it's it's really like satisfying um perry is so perry makes me nervous because i've played sekiro and i have died to being unable to parry frequently more than once the way they do it in this game, first of all, you don't really have to parry that much, except for, like, during bosses, you will want to do that. I think some of them you have to, there right? A, like, there are some that you... Yes. I don't even think you can clear them if you don't if you don't parry. There are a few where you actually have to, the final boss being one of them. Um, but there is a large, distinctive flash on the screen that is exactly when you have to parry in a very generous window very very generous that if you hear the sound or see the flash you get like a second before and a second after and like it's not too hard to hit and i have played a lot of games where parrying is important and have died because i didn't get it it's uh the way they do it here is is well done and doesn't feel overused but definitely feels important yeah and and i mean they make it they make it a because this could have been a throwaway thing Right. This could have been, okay. well, we're throwing powering in and we're not going to make you do it like they did make it significant. Like it was it's a significant part of Samus's kit. It's there from the very, very beginning. And it they make it pretty it's it's easy to forget because you can go through the first like couple of bosses and not bother. Like you don't necessarily it makes it even for the regular enemies. It makes it a lot easier to beat a lot of them because generally you can just like one shot them. If you parry their attack correctly. Well, it's your health pickup too, right? Yeah. Like it's – there are tiny respawning bat-like things in every area of the game starting with the first one where if you parry them, they drop health and and refills on your ammo. And if you don't, then you get hit. And healing is better than damage right? when it applies to you. 
for the opponent, the opposite is true, face of the place. But uh, when when you have the choice between pairing and refill my stuff or not pairing, maybe shoot them and drop nothing or maybe get hit, you just wait for the parry. And again, it's a very generous window. It's not hard to hit at all. And it, it's you learn to embrace it, but it's not the only thing you do in the game. There's a lot of shooting and the shooting is good shooting. Yeah, I mean, and what's what's important is that it saves you time, right? Like it's actually like a lot of these games like it takes you longer to parry than it does to just like shoot at them and kill them. Like a lot of the times like parrying actually makes it to get through faster cuz you're 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 sometimes having to shoot at these things for a while and it's like one parry and they're dead. Um especially in the later enemies too. It just kind of helps you get through the game and it makes it more more relevant. But like it's easy to forget on some of the early bosses because you could just get through the early part of the game without ever parrying and then all of a sudden you need to do it in order to beat them. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's a thing I can do. And, like, what's this yellow flash? Because I forgot it because I haven't done this for two hours. But, like, once you do that the first time, then you kind of remember that that's part. It's part of a lot of the boss battles. And you just kind of get used to that that's something you need to look out for. And the mechanics and power-ups of the game, there's a lot of evocative Metroid stuff. If you, like, we talked about the Morph Ball very early on. It's not a spoiler. The Morph Ball is in a Metroid game. If you consider that a spoiler, play more Metroid. Um, but there's... There are some uh, returning favorites. The speed booster is very well done this time. It's always one of the coolest power-ups. And then the, the storm missiles are so cool. And just do the, like, the, the targeting and then the pew, 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 and it's like really great. Um, and, uh, and, and like the flash move, too. The flash move is pretty good, oh, too. Oh, yeah, the, the Aeon Flash. So yeah. that's one where there's a particular boss fight where I had forgotten about that move because I hadn't used it in multiple hours because you get it way earlier to, like, to deal with specific gates that are pressure sensitive you just zoop right through them but there's a boss in the game where if you forget that you have that move then you're gonna get farmed but then when you remember you have it the boss suddenly becomes like straightforward and not too difficult and then you end up using that move for every boss for the rest of the game yeah yeah and that, that's a, it's a pretty cool and and i thought that you had to like charge it up in order to use it the way that they did the tutorial that i found out it's just like a press of the, of the button like okay well then we're using this all the time yeah it recharges itself fairly quickly, and you yeah. get to do this like cool sideways triple dash thing. It's like it's 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 sweet. Um, Steve likes the stealth. I, uh, I I'm glad one of us does. It was it was it, it was interesting occasionally. Um, I mean, it's, it was better to be able to like break into a ball and hide in the corner and wait for Emmy to go away sometimes rather than trying to navigate around it in real time. I, I think it was nice that they gave that to you. I, I don't really needed it, but it's fine. Um, you know, I, I think that they they did about what they're going to be able to do with, you know, weapons and, and abilities in a game like this. Um, but yeah, it's I, I, I think that it did a lot of interesting things to make it feel different and 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 feel new um, where they had it yep. really before. And, and look, you know, again, the quality of life stuff, too. I mean, we've talked about the map plenty. We've talked about the, the lack of runbacks plenty we've even yeah. talked about like they'll give you radar and the power bombs to be able to find destructible blocks later so you're not searching all around I, I did like like in the earlier metroid games like usually you'd be flipping between like the wave beam and the ice beam and and stuff like that and this just like when you got a new weapon like if you got a better missile you got a better beam like it just got, went on top of the other one like you what you got wave beam and ice beam okay well now it does both like you don't have to go constantly go into the menu. Like there's still like the iconic like Samus graphic with all like the different like lines pointing to different abilities that you have, but you don't have to do anything with it. It's just kind of showing you what you have, but you don't ever have to swap between things or turn things off, which you had to do a lot in Super Metroid. Yeah. 
your stuff just gets better and you can like hold for different durations and do different things and there's a lot to keep track of at the end of the game of when do i press and hold when do i press and do some other combination but it ends up being that like some of the stuff gets obsoleted especially during those later boss fights um and otherwise it all kind of works together in this tapestry of like you're either pressing or pressing and holding is kind of like an iphone um that those are the two options and everything you have is either like the normal or the charged up form and they don't give you different types of ammo they just use slightly more of the same types of ammo it's it's streamlined it's more efficient uh and i really want to emphasize on the save pointing thing there are tons of save points and on top of that the game auto checkpoints anytime you're near anything like Every time you go into an Emmy zone, every time you leave an Emmy zone, you are getting a free automatic checkpoint right there where you don't lose progress if you continue. Every time you enter a boss area, uh, and also all the save points in addition, and all the travel points, I think. Yeah. And, and, Constantly saving. And on top of that, it makes it very, very clear. It doesn't tell you right away, but you kind of figure out after the first couple. It makes it pretty obvious when you're going into a boss fight. Like, there is, there is a different kind of door. It is very obvious you're going to a boss fight so that if you do want to go back and save or heal, more likely heal before you do that. Because, like, this is something that I've run into in things like like Symphony of the Night and, I guess, Bloodstained as well. Like, there's usually a save point by the bosses in those games, but you can go in the wrong door and all of a sudden you're in the boss fight and you really needed to heal and save um that does not happen in this game i mean first of all you have the checkpoints you're never punished for stumbling into the boss but you're not going to stumble into the boss because you have to work to get into the boss room so if you if you see a door like that that's a signal to you hey let me go find one of the healing stations around let me go find a missile recharge station let me go find a save point get myself ready to go and then i can go in there and even then it's not the end of the world if you if you bite it so yeah okay so it's boss o'clock if you are partially through the game, you should probably stop here. Um, we're going to start by talking about boss design in general, but we are going to talk about the final boss a bunch. So be aware of that starting right now. Okay. You're still here? We're good? We're good. We're ready to talk about bosses? You're good? List your last warning. Are you sure you're good? Okay. You, you, you put on deodorant? You, put, you brush your teeth? I'm, I'm, I'm going to dad mode now. But that's what I do every morning at six fifteen. But you know, you you should you should put on deodorant and, and brush your teeth if you have it. Six fifteen. Oh yeah, that's Ugh. the real Metroid dread. Is six fifteen in the morning? Let me tell you, there's no dread like like sending your kids out to uh, wait for the bus stop in pitch black. That's the real dread. That's the real dread. Um, daylight savings time this weekend. By oh, the way, yeah. don't forget to change your clocks back. Yep. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I mean, the bosses are they they st- they're actually kind of. They're very plentiful. Like they're they're spaced out pretty close together, especially if you consider the enemies' bosses, because there's there seems well, to like, be and there are enemies that are part like like boss the game like, doesn't do like mini bosses basically yeah the, the, the like the robo soldiers are they a boss at a certain point it feels like they're more of a mini boss or an encounter than anything else and we like this isn't a boss conversation this is a difficulty conversation that seems to revolve around the bosses and we talked about the difference between hard and punishing the game is challenging and precise without being punishing but enemy damage is really really high yeah and if you get hit a bunch you're probably gonna die no matter where you are and energy tanks don't mean as much as as you think like you're not tanky you can't sponge up damage um there's constant healing and power-ups, and there's a parry mechanic, and even in the middle of boss fights, you will get healing and power-ups. But 
if you get hit a bunch and you don't try and understand what's happening in these fights, especially in the boss fights, you are going to die. You cannot spam and twitch reflex your way yeah. through them. That's just not how this game works. Yeah, like a lot of the hits will generally take off like a, like most of an energy tank. Like you can get more energy tanks, but the energy tanks are really hard to come by early anyway. So you kind of like don't have that as a crutch. The later bosses will hit you for two or three. Like, they will hit you for two or three energy tanks at once. If you've got nine or ten, you're still talking four to five hits total. Yeah, and, and I mean, even, like, the first, like, real boss is, like, the 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 crawly, like, scorpion-type thing. Corpius. Yeah, Corpius. And he he's, like, even then, like, you've got a couple moves, and he's not that, he's, he's not that, that difficult, really, once you learn his his patterns. But it's, like, if you're not looking at these moves and kind of planning where you're going to be and again using that that dash i don't know if you have the dash by then or you have it get a little bit later i think you still have it by the flash dash yeah you do not okay you do not have it but i mean if you're not like looking at them and like planning what you're going to do and like kind of taking some the first couple fights like see what how they're attacking like you're going to get hit a lot and you're going to like you can't just even the early bosses you can't just like spam attack and get through them Crate is boss number two, and he is he is the welcome to Metroid boss. So these bosses remind me a lot of the game Punch Out, yeah, and the various yep. sequels to Punch Out. Of it is puzzle fighter. This is puzzle combat. Where if you don't figure out the specifics of what's going on, then you will die. But there will be a moment. You talked about this earlier, where when you don't get a boss, you will die on phase one. And then within the next 10 pulls, it will click, and you will leave the same boss fight with 75% health remaining and full, and full ammo. Like, it's, you go from not getting it to getting it in chunks, and the game breaks up the fights into chunks regularly. And once you figure it out, those first phases go quickly, and then you do it two or three times, then you win. And some of them are longer fights, but like Corpius, I think, is a three-phase fight, but they go very fast. And you learn, like, oh, in the second phase, I have to slide and then parry. And then you figure it out. Yeah. And, and you generally don't have to hit them that many times to get out of the phase, right? Like, it's like there are some of these games, I mean, the, the final boss aside, like, there are some games like this where you're, you're like, like Ori is, or like Ori and the Will of the Wisps, they introduce bosses. And those boss fights are brutal. And you're just kind of doing this over and over and over again. And then eventually you get to another stage. This is not that. Like, usually if you've, if you've proven to the game that you know how to beat the boss, it will let you through to the next phase or let you through that boss fight. Yeah. Well, and, Ori 1 did this too, but with the levels instead of the bosses, like the Water Temple, that's that's a one-phase fight that takes forever, so good luck with that one. Um, but there are two bosses that I think break that rule, Craid uh, and the final boss. Craid is the second boss of the game. He takes way too long, way, way too long. That second phase in particular where you're shooting at his infected belly button, you should really get that checked out. Um, that is where... I had to put the game down after five or six pulls because my hands hurt and I had to come back. And again, it's a pattern recognition thing. And if you do the right things at the right time, then it's not terrible. And phase one ends up being quite trivial, but it's painful and precise. Like you really got to get it down. And it took a little bit longer yeah. than I expected. They did build. Did you see that that yeah. crazy secret sequence break? That's in? what I was talking about earlier. And then we saved it for now. Yeah. So like you're not supposed to have bombs. I don't even think you're supposed to have the morph ball by the time you get to Kraid. And, Correct. And you're not. There, but there are some people who found like a glitch or they found a way around and they, you know, so they went in with the morph ball and bombs. And 
what you can do with Kraid, even though you're not supposed to have those, they built it in so that if you have them, you can actually just kind of like roll into his belly button and drop bombs and then he dies immediately. And and it's really cool that they were thinking that far ahead and kind of planned for a speedrunner to like find a, gri- a a glitch and and be able to just one shot it. I didn't do it, but I saw that video and I was just kind of like, what? And, and, and then posted it in Discord and that was what everyone else's reaction was because it's like you're not supposed to be able to do that. But they thought that far ahead and that's a modern game design, right? Like a Super Metroid, they, they probably just had the glitches in the game whatever and then you would find these things and they'd be glitchy but that wouldn't but this was like a whole cutscene that that accompanied it like it was clear that they had planned for this and that they were coding in that you could do this even though you weren't supposed to be able to and that's really really cool it's they built this game knowing speedrunners would want to speedrun it. And it, this is not the only sequence break in the game that they planned on and there's also if you get ahead of the game there's like there was a point where I picked up a power bomb tank after it had screw attack and space jump, but before it had the power bombs. And it's like you'd think you'd get the power bombs now. And it says no, this is a resource that you haven't acquired yet. Oh wow. So you yeah. get a pop up message that's that they know that you got a bonus, but they don't let you use it yet. They they thought of everything. And there are multiple sequence breaks that are built into the game. Uh you can kill the you know the the experiment boss that has the like full screen tentacles and the swipey yeah, yeah. slashies. Yeah. During the part where it puts the fans on the wall, if you activate Speed Booster and Shine Spark and hit the boss with the Shine Spark, you kill them instantly. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't see that. That's really the, cool, too. No. There's so many of these things built into the game because they knew that people would speedrun it because it's a Metroid game. Yeah. Because that's what people do with Metroid games. And, you know, there's – it's – I am impressed by their forethought but not surprised that they realized – Again, with 19 years of development time, you get to think of these details. You get to see how people play your games. It's pretty cool that they designed for that. And uh, the boss design in general, most of them dodge the frustration by being so clear about the patterns. And every single one goes to the same phase of, what do I even do? Oh, I do this. Oh, that boss wasn't so bad. Some of them are assholes. That stupid flying purple guy, SQ. I hated that guy. Where, like, I watched a video on how to do it because I thought I was missing something. And what I was missing was that I was getting hit by things and I was supposed to not do that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's – that wasn't helpful, but I ended up getting there anyways. I just needed to make tighter space jumps around the boss, which also, by the way, was training you for the final boss where you have to do that in the floaty-shooty asshole phase. Um, I'm going to mark that down so you can edit out my cursing yeah, because I couldn't, I, I couldn't I think, hold I think, I, I think we can probably leave it in at that point because, you know, it's, it's a bad word, but he's making you say it, as Dennis Leary would say. So yeah, you're making me say it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the only the only downside of the bosses is that they like you can use multiple weapons and some of them work and some of them don't. And it's not always clear, like when you're hurting the, the boss and when you're just bouncing off the armor. And yeah. there's no health bars and no names. Yeah. They don't have any names of any of the bosses. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the only reason you, the only way you get the names is from like walkthroughs. But like and, and so you don't know if you're actually hurting them. You don't know how many times you have to hit them. Sometimes they'll start flashing a little bit. But not really. So it's like you could be like shooting it with like the regular weapon and it's only missiles or only like, um, you know, only charge shots that's going to do it. And you don't know. I, I, I know I had a Twitter exchange with someone that I just said I just default to using missiles because missiles will hurt almost everything unless like there's a reason not to. Right. Like sometimes they'll 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 show it and then there will be times it's obvious that you can hit with more than just the missiles. But and you do run out of the missiles a little bit early. But like. 
generally, if you're in a boss fight, you want to be using the missiles as much as you can. You do, like, even during the boss fights, they will refill your missiles for you. There are usually things that you can kill that will give you life and missiles, which is a huge quality of life thing, too, because, you know, normally, like, your missile tank, your missile count would be it, right? And you wouldn't even necessarily be able to refill them very often. Not only can you go to, like, a station and refill them, but it will it will refill them in the middle of the boss fight, which is actually really really helpful once you realize that that's something that you can do because then you don't have to be so stingy with it and almost every time you land a parry especially if you go into the parry grab animations like the the, the cut scenes yeah. um they will usually drop power-ups then too and they also drop power-ups during phase transitions again the game is trying to encourage you to get to the point where you have to learn what the boss does and not limit you on resources and make you go back and backtrack especially because it, it keeps you from backtracking the whole point here is figure out this fight not go grind to get ready for this fight you get ready for the fight by learning it yeah so I really prefer that approach. I think it's better. Uh, and even for boss where there's a lot going on, like the final boss, that's the way to do it. Though the final boss is really difficult to tell when you're damaging him, especially in the first two phases, which kind of look like one phase, but it's like 1.5 phases. You don't really have an idea that you're damaging him until you figure out that you can expedite the end, uh, a certain attack that triggers the difference yeah. between phase one and phase two, and he gets slightly more colorful. Like, that's, that's how you know you were damaging him, is that he turns more more reddish-purple. It's not super distinct. I wish there was a health bar or yeah. something. Like, I mean, even just, like, a little health bar that would just show that you're doing something or a number that popped up, even if the number didn't, like, actually add up to anything. Like, just something to show that you're not just bouncing off the armor. Because, like, that that actually is one of the hardest things about the unit, about the, the final boss, the first phase, is that you really need to be—and I, I do like it that it's kind of forcing you to pay attention to his attacks and not just, like, shooting him in the face, right? But you you actually really can't hurt him initially except for very specific, um, you know, after specific attacks that you can counter. So, you know, it really you should just, you know, at least initially you probably don't want to try and just pay attention to what he's doing. But that's not your instinct. When you're going in, you're just going to try to fight him and he's going to, like, he's going to look like, you know like a Chun-Li like 15 attack combo on you because you're not really you're not paying attention to what he's doing you're paying attention to where you want to shoot right and and sometimes like face is the place but sometimes if you go face too much then you get punished right so it's it does kind of teach you that you need to be paying attention to him for the entire boss battle but it also would be nice if it gave you like any sort of a visual um you know or an audio clue or something that hey you're wasting your energy because you can't get through this right now, right? And and that was one of the things that kind of did turn me off. And once I saw the walkthrough and they're like, yeah, you can't hurt him, so don't try. Like, okay, well, that that kind of helps, and then that fo- helps focus the mind. But There's, and I'm, I'm going to be technically here, you can accelerate the end of the first phase into the second phase by shooting him, where there's an attack that you need to parry to actually damage him. But he doesn't do that attack until you do enough damage in phase one right and you can do damage in phase one and make him glow more red and less dark purple and then he does this big charge up wave attack rift turn in the morph ball then you're technically in phase two where he starts glowing orange then he does the taunty parry attack and you can you can parry him twice in animation then you get to shoot him with missiles and then you progress to the third phase which we call the floaty shooty phase very very, very technical, technical terms um, yes. right and it's really hard to tell what's going on, and that boss has a lot going on. Yeah. 
a ton going on. The first two times I pulled him, I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. What's and happening? And very fast. And he has, like, so many attacks. Yeah, and he has so many attacks, and there's so much variety, and, like, and he has all of your moves, but also he's a giant, like, he's, he's he hits pretty hard. He's a giant guy, and he just smacks you around a bunch, and when he hits you, the clunky sounds of him smashing you are very well done, but it feels like I'm getting punched in the face pretty hard, yeah. and that's what's happening, and you take a lot of damage. Yeah, and... and- there's a lot of like you know attacks that you need to you need to be like in the air to avoid because they're coming in at specific angles. Like there's a you know a beam that's going to chase you around that you actually have to like jump around him in order to avoid, and you need to do it at very specific you know specific um, distances, and you need to be at, at you know very close to him at one point to avoid an attack. But then he immediately follows that up with swiping you in the face. You need to know that that's coming, and then immediately dodge as soon as he drops it. And it's so it's it's very, very technical. It feels great when you beat him, especially like the the payoff for that, both yes. in terms of story and like how that how they cinematically finish that fight. Um, both feel really, really satisfying. But it's, it, you know, getting there. I mean, I remember we we were looking at reviews and one person said that it took them like six hours to finish the boss fight. And I'm like, what are you doing for six hours? Like, good. I'm thinking of like the first kingdom hearts you know where like it's yeah <laughs> like it's a jrpg boss that's going through like you know multiple phases that each one of them takes you 45 minutes and it's it's i mean that was probably just duration not the actual time that the fight takes because the, the fight's probably like a good five minutes from start to finish when you when you do it successfully yeah. but the the number of attempts is is what adds up there but it, it can take you a long especially if you're if you're missing something that it's doing or you're not picking up on one of the cues that because some of the cues are very subtle of like how the the fight how the moves are going to differ you you're in for a world of pain and it can be very very frustrating and take you a very long time to get through it and it's got four real phases and four is a lot of phases and the hardest one's the third one the floaty shooty phase where suddenly it's completely different when the you finally get to the fourth phase it evokes a lot of the attacks from the first couple but he adds a couple of really powerful ones and you have to kind of wade through these first few phases a bunch of times to figure out what's going on. And then when you get to another one, you're like, oh, man, I have to learn this and probably die instantly and then go back and do the first part again. It becomes this attrition fight. It takes uh, – like pulls were taking me six or seven minutes. It's a long time for a precision boss. I don't mind the design because it like it was a – it was a, a nice payoff to get there like you said. But that fight went on a while, and there wasn't as much checkpointing as I would have liked and wasn't as much through the rest of the game. Like, you had to kind of put everything in a row very quickly there and learn on the fly. Um, it was, it was like, it was a final boss deserving of the game. And when you first pull him, that feeling of, like, what did they do here is unmatched. Like, it feels so overwhelming. And I don't know, it took me probably about 45 minutes to figure it out from start to finish like i did one pull and then uh and then like a chain just under an hour of pulls and finally got there um he's pattern heavy just like the rest of the game but you really have to figure it out and it's pretty punishing if you whiff first couple phases end up not being that difficult the floaty shooty phase sucks like oh man it's so hard and he's got like four or five attacks in each phase and like you have to be watching for all of them and then know what to do and then actually execute it and it's a lot. I mean, it's it feels like it's a big jump from like the other bosses that you fought up to that point. Like the the other bosses can be difficult, but I think like this was this felt like an order of magnitude. And I mean, I guess it, it ought to be. 
right? I mean, it is it's the final boss. It's the final boss. Right. It ought to be difficult, yeah. but it's also kind of like it. It it's not difficult in terms of like the time it takes you to do it start to finish it's difficult which which is how a lot of games deal with this right like you would just some of these games like you just have to you just have to hit it like a million times and you don't really have to hit him a million oh the fully shooting phase you kind of have to hit him a million times but it's he's a, he's a bit spongy during that yeah. phase and i don't know how long it's going to go and i'm so tired of space jumping around him when he does the the machine gun attack i hate that thing and there's a lot of like it's a very precise dance and you have to hope that you don't screw it up too many times because phase four is not that difficult. But if you screw up phase three, then phase four, you'll just die when you get shine sparked into. Um, and I don't know. I wish it was a little bit less spongy and there's slightly less time there, but it wasn't bad. It's It was a satisfying final boss. And then, then after four phases, this is the spoileriest we're going to get. Yeah. If you have not beaten the game, if you have not beaten the game, I'm going to count to 10 Mississippi on my fingers. Stop listening right now if you have not beaten yeah, the game. One, this, Mississippi, this is two, worth, Mississippi. Because this is worth experiencing on your own, right? Like, I, if, you're, if you haven't heard this, just fast forward like a couple minutes. But it, it's, it's absolutely worth seeing this all for yourself. But, yeah, go ahead. Okay. If you have not beaten the final boss of Metroid Dread and seen the ending, you have been warned. Stop right now. Go play the game. Okay. What the hell, Steve? I, I what happened? I mean, I mean, the whole thing that's like story wide, like story wise, like leading up to it, right? Like, okay, she's getting more powerful. She's clearly something's happening, and then the whole reveal that that the the computer. I mean, I always felt from the beginning that the, her uploading to this computer that just so happened to be talk able to talk to her to her ship when she can't get any other communication out felt a little sus. Right. And so that I'm glad that that paid off and that that was that was Ravenbeak all along the final boss who was, you know, using using those uploads to kind of, you know, get her to do what he wanted her to do. And the fact that like she's like fully Metroid now and that she is the Metroid dread and that and that, you know, now she's like losing control of her of her power and she's like destroying everything. And then he, he gets, you know, eaten by the parasite turns into like this giant monster. And then you have to do the whole Emmy kill thing to kill him. And then finally go back into the ship and then realize you can't, you can't launch the ship cause you'll blow it up. Cause you're a Metroid and like, and the whole thing with like, well now I'm a Metroid and I'm the, you know, I'm the, the scourge of the universe. And then the other guy comes back from the dead from like a parasite version of himself to kind of like siphon some of the power out so that she can launch the ship and get off the planet before it blows up. And it was goofy. It, that that part was was uh, contrived. Yeah, it seemed a little bit convenient at the end. Like I, I I was I was with them all up to the Metroid DNA's like you know overtaking her body and making her like unstable. Like I was with that, and then all of a sudden like Beaky Boy comes back from the dead. And and, you know, gives, siphons off just enough to let her get off the planet. I did like the 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 race off the planet, which was a nice kind of throwback to Super Metroid because Super Metroid both starts with that sequence and then ends with that sequence of having to escape like a facility, um, you know, with, uh, you know, in, in a period of time with the clock ticking down like that's a that's kind of an iconic Metroid sequence. But, yeah, like the whole thing at the end, like, oh, yeah, well, you're Metroid now, but I'm going to I'm going to help you, you know. I'm a parasite that's a version of this other guy that you helped you and now he's dead. But now he came back to life and he just happens to be in the ship like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's, we're not here for the narrative. And if you are, it will be – it's very silly. It's a silly narrative. 
I assumed they were going to have her die in the planet so that they could end the franchise because it would have been her finishing her evolution and then sacrificing herself would have been something that she would have done. But instead, they set up the next game. Well, I mean, they they want to make money, you know. Yeah. I like playing more Metroids. I'm not upset there's going to be another game. But uh, it... The way they did that was strange. It, it was kind of contrived, and it was kind of... I mean, again, we're not here for the story. Like, they summed up the entire franchise in the first, like, five minutes of the game, right? Um, and, and you didn't really feel like you were missing too much if, uh, you know, if you if you missed out on any of that stuff, right? Like, they kind of... They did a previously on Lost, and you caught up on all on almost all of it immediately. But it still felt like... We could have gotten there. Uh, we, 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 it didn't feel quite satisfying, but it also, like, it was so cool up to that point, too. Cause, like, the whole thing where she's overrun and then she's killing him and then, the, and then it transforms into the giant monster and you have to blow up the monster and then you're running away and, you know, and then it gets to that point. It's like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess we'll have another game. Yeah. And I want to use this, this last final point to emphasize the most distinct stylistic feature of this game. You shoot a lot of bosses in the mouth, right in the mouth to kill them. Double-digit bosses. It ha- it comes up a frequent amount. The first boss of the game, the last boss of the game. Most of the other bosses, you find a mouth or a mouth-like thing, and then you shoot it, and then you move on. Yeah, faces the place. It's weird. I'm not. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying like there. There was a very distinct point. It's, my wife was a spectator to this game. It's a very entertaining spectator game. But, you know, it's uh, repeatedly just the ending boss animation. I would just be like, shoot him in the mouth, shoot him in the mouth. And that's what we did. And we just like pew and right in the mouth. And then the boss was dead. You know, you, you, you know, it's the face hunter of Metroids. I, I guess so. <laughs> face bounty hunter. The, oh, hey, maybe maybe we have a new maybe we have a new title. That might be better. That might, that be, might, be, that better. might be better. I think we I think we did it. I, which which I guess says that. We should we should probably wrap up because I don't think we're topping that, especially after an hour and forty five no, minutes. Probably. Um, Jeez. Okay. But yeah. But I would. I, I mean, I think that if you have the fact that we've talked about this for almost two hours says that we both really like the game and would recommend it. And and if you're on the fence, if you've listened this far, you've probably turned it off by now because spoilers. Um, if you skipped ahead, if you're still here, yeah. Thanks for listening. We think you're special. Yeah. And um, but I, I think it's good. Also, to, I'm scared of hard mode. I'm oh, yeah. I, oh, I saw that. And it's like, oh, yeah. Now you can try hard mode. Like, nope, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to do that. I'm good. I don't even want to think about what that's going to be. That like. was the easy mode. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, that was easy. Nope. I'm good. I don't need to get the uh, the other pictures from the other Metroid games. Like, I'm I'm fine. Like, I'm good. They got that on the Internet. Yeah. You can look that. You I, can Google I, I, that. I mean, they should have made them NFTs. It, it's- <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Uh, on that note, I, but I think that we both enjoyed it very much, enough to re- talk about it for two hours, and it's a good game. And and I'm glad that I got to play it. I'm glad it came out before Mercenaries so that I can mainline it before Mercenaries came out um, and then not feel too guilty about it and not, like, give it up halfway. Um, and... I hope that they make more, or at the very least, this convinces them to take some of the older Metroid games and port them to the Switch and remaster them. Because, like, the Metroid Prime games are basically unplayable right now, unless you happen to have the Wii version, which is extremely expensive. I think I might mm. actually own that. 
Um, but I don't know that I have, I would have to hook up like the Wii to play it and it's got the weird motion controls. And I would love to see that with like real controls, um, like actual controls and, and, you know, or be able to get like, you know, Metroid fusion on a modern console or something like that would be great. So hopefully this will convince them that Metroid is still a a vibrant series that they can, you know, put the kind of resources that they put into like the Zelda games or the Mario games into to be able to bring them to the Switch and expose them to a new audience. There are uh, credible rumors that a remaster of Metroid Prime 1 is coming to the Switch. If that does, I will play it. I didn't I didn't really care for it at the time, but I also was um, I did not have an ADHD um, diagnosis yeah. at the time. So I might enjoy it more now. Who knows? But um but we should we should go before we turn into metroids so um i will as, as, for the for the few people who have made it through this far who have not turned off because of spoilers and also do not know all the places on the internet to find you at where where can one find you on the internet i if you're listening to this i'm surprised you don't know where to find me but the hub of my content twitter.com slash ridiculous hat also i do a bunch of podcasts about Hearthstone. like it's a collection at this point um a trilogy so Go find all that in my Twitter. We didn't talk about Hearthstone today, so I'm not going to link them here. Um, just go, just go, go watch me tweet about stuff. Yeah. Usually about video games, often Hearthstone, sometimes cheese. What are you going to do? Eh, you know, why, why not both? It's, I frequently do. And Steve, where can people find you? Well, um, you know, offcurve.com is where you're going to find the podcast. You'll find the links to whatever's in this episode also. At offcurve on Twitter, at wickedgood on Twitter, um, twitch.tv slash wickedgoodfm, Monday night and Friday night. At uh, seven seven o'clock Eastern, um, those of you who are in the stream right now, thank you for being here as well. Um, Discord.offcurve.com to go talk about things, including Metroid in the uh, console and PC gaming channel, and uh, probably some other things that I'm forgetting. Um, but that's those are the important ones. So thank you as always for listening. We will I will be back with your regularly scheduled Hearthstone content uh, shortly. Um, Hat, you're always welcome back to talk about decks when we get a chance to do that again uh, you know we could have done that today six weeks probably that's i imagine that'll be in six weeks because we're gonna get the expansion the first or second week of december i would guess i would guess probably the seventh yeah probably or the 14th it might be a little bit later because they haven't even announced it yet usually there's like a month ramp up right so uh, well they have to they had to do the mini set before they can do the, the big set so i imagine that 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 announcement's coming in a week or two and then they have to do the seventh so you can do the balance patch by the 16th because then they're oh, out yeah, of the we, office last yeah, two so weeks that we don't end up with another um, wsoe in middle of the night thing yeah. yep so i would expect release of the expansion on the seventh and balance patch on thursday the 16th that would be my guess um but uh yeah we'll see what happens i imagine that i will be back on your feeds on this one hearthstone podcast listeners in case you needed a fourth episode with me on it that week that's probably what's going to happen well you know i mean there's never enough right so obviously you're on three podcasts and and you're still demand so i i'm i'm here as a service to provide that extra bonus hat to to the internet so thank you for providing your platform I, i'm i'm happy to do it anyway uh thank you for being here thank you for talking metroid with me thank you all for listening to metroid with us and uh be good to each other And have a good night. Bye.